Kippur is one of those holidays, let's face it, that, that we don't often look forward to. I mean, uh, especially, you know, if you have like, an, uh, like a history, like a family history, not just uh, now I know the Lord and I celebrate Jewish holidays, uh, but like from the time you were a child, Yom Kippur is not a holiday you really look forward to, right? Because on Yom Kippur, you, you fast and, and really long services, right? You think services are long here. Okay. Let's just say you have no idea, all right? Uh, and, uh, I, uh, and, and that's how it is, you know? It's, uh, it's a holiday where we're talking about sin and repentance and... Uh, you know, when we're confessing sins, and it's not like great. I got it on my calendar. I can't wait, uh, you know, to get there, and this is gonna be fun. You know, I uh, it usually doesn't work that way, right? I but it is uh, a very important part of a Jewish tradition, uh, and not only that. Uh, but an important part of uh, a faithfulness uh, to God, the confession of sins, uh, you know, and, and, and what it means. And I think that when we come to it, where we recognize that, it, that we're not hoping to appease God, like he's really mad at us, and I've got to say the right thing or do the right thing, or he's just going to stay mad then why would anybody ever want to engage? Why would anybody want to know a God like that? Why would anybody want to? That is bad news, <laughs> okay? You know, that, that is bad news. And that is not the God of Israel. That is oftentimes, frankly, the God of tradition, uh, of all tradition, right? So I'm just going to throw this out. Uh, you know, if you come from a Jewish background, if you come from a Catholic background, or you come from a Protestant background that was sort of like showing up a few times a year, you know, and that, that kind of thing, it is always the case that, oh, you know, I, if I, uh, we, we got to make sure that uh, um, uh, we, we come and, because God is like this austere, uh, you know, tough, the toughest father figure there could be. You know, uh, and so we come, and oftentimes we just give up. We just figure there's no way I can appease that kind of God, so we just give up, and I and I, I don't even bother. We just do traditions. You know, we kind of hide behind traditions. You know, we do that. We we often do that. We hide behind traditions because it makes us feel good about being part of a people or being religious, right? Uh, but the good news is, and uh, let me tell you something. I'm talking about good news from the beginning of Genesis, not just good news that starts in the Gospel of Matthew. The good news is, is that God is the creator. There's one God. He made everything, and he made us, and he loves us, and he wants us to come to him. And when we do, he receives us. And this did not begin with Yeshua. Okay, we're going to understand a little bit about that in the next few minutes. That did not begin with Yeshua, but what Yeshua did is he like sealed the deal for us. Okay? He gives us assurance. 
He gives us assurance of being received by God. Uh, and he uh, inaugurated the future today so that we could know God in a way that the prophets promised. But even when they were promising it, God still loved the people, right? And, uh, and so we want to understand some of these things about the nature, the nature of God. Uh, and, uh, and so we have to ask ourselves, you know, why are we really here tonight? Is it an obligation? Is it a learning experience? Uh, you know, is it uh, a time for really seeking God? I hope so. And, uh, you know, a time for uh, cleansing and, and really getting the most out of it. it. It isn't just simply a learning opportunity, okay? It's, it's not like this is not an MSI mini course, okay? Uh, this is about engaging God. And it's not just learning about Jew, the Jewish roots of the faith, or whatever you want to call it, right? It's about engaging God. And that is, uh, you know, that's what we're here for. And, and me, like uh, any colleague of mine in our movement or a rabbi or anywhere, you sit down and you think, what am I going to talk about? And you think to yourself, what do I really want? Well, I want people to be transformed. How do I... How do I, you know, say that, uh, all the things we need to say on this holiday so that people get it, you know? Uh, and, that's, uh, and that's what really we want. The goal is transformation. So hopefully, uh, you know, this is really a time for seeking God and, and uh, uh, for uh, cleansing. In the Bible, the main two passages that talk about Yom Kippur uh, are both uh, in the Torah and both in uh, Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, okay? Uh, and that is in chapter 16 and in chapter uh, 23, okay? Chapter 16 and in chapter 23. So let's uh, quickly uh, take a look at it, just so we know what's going on here, okay? Now, you know, uh, thousands of years ago, I, uh, uh, on the Day of Atonement, it would be this uh, very important day of offerings. The high priest played a very important, you know, and big role in it. Uh, and the holy place had to be cleansed. And the high priest had to be cleansed himself, right? So the text says here that uh, the high priest, first he'd have to cleanse himself. And he'd have to take a bull for a sin offering for himself and for his family. And he'd have to go in there and he'd have to uh, slay it and, and sprinkle the blood uh, uh, around the, uh, the, top of the, uh, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It's called the mercy seat. And the reason it's called the mercy seat is because it's the place of mercy. It was the place, almost like a throne, you might say. And in a way that the... You know, uh, uh, the, the way that it looked, if you look in a book or you see a description of it, it kind of looked like a throne, like God is the king and he's sitting on the throne, okay? And the blood would be sprinkled on it so that uh, he could then, be, he then uh, had the credentials or the ability to represent the people before a God, right? So after, uh, you know, that was taken care of for himself, uh, and for uh, his family. Then uh, he would take two goats. You see this in verse 7 of uh, chapter 16 of Leviticus. 
And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Okay? And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall, ta- shall offer the goat on which the lot for the, goat for the Lord fell and make a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Okay, so uh, uh, what he would do, if you could jump down to verse 15, it says, Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the impurities of the sons of Israel. That's kind of interesting that uh, the understanding is is that the impurities of the people not only made them impure, but it actually made the holy place impure. And the holy place had to have like a spiritual cleansing, you know, not just uh, scrubbing it with, uh, you know, spick and span or something, you know, to uh, clean it up or, you know, bringing in the cleaning crew like we might do, you know, for for the holidays. Uh, but actually, uh, it was all bl- it was a bloody mess, you know. Uh, but it, the intention was to make it clean, so then the high priest could make the offering, uh, you know, uh, for the for the people. So there was a cleansing of the place and a cleansing of the people. Okay, all right. Uh, now, if you uh, uh, move forward. Uh, to verse verse 20, it says, when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. And the goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release uh, the goat uh, in the wilderness. Okay. Uh, So what you see here is that uh, the high priest, uh, first he had to bring an offering for himself because he was full of sin like everybody else. And so he had to bring an offering for himself and for his family. And then, uh, and then he would bring two goats. One goat would be slain, and it was like a substitution for the sins of the people. That the goat had to die so the people could live, basically. The goat had to die so that the people uh, uh, could live. All right? And then uh, he takes the other goat. And that's called, in Hebrew, it's called the Azazel, which is a very interesting name. But traditionally, we call it in English the scapegoat. The reason we call it the scapegoat is because in English, we know what a scapegoat is, right? When somebody takes the blame, who's going to be the fall person, right? Who's going to take the blame for, uh, for what everybody does, right? Now, uh, you know, I didn't have brothers and sisters, so I could never relate to this, Okay. Uh, but, you know, I have uh, three, uh, three children, and believe it or not, at one time they were this size, right? And so something happens, who did it, right? Who did it? And the reality is usually the youngest one, okay? 
uh, became the person who took the blame for all of it, right? Uh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I don't know. What? Right? Uh, and so the one who takes the blame, right? And so in the big picture of Israel on, on Yom Kippur, uh, the, the high priest would lay his hands on the goat and pray that the sins of the people would be transferred to the goat. And then the goat would be uh, sent away. And you know, it's very interesting. One question that we might want to ask is, why two goats? Why not just one? Why not just cover the sins? You know, that's what Kippur actually means. Cover. To cover the sins with, with the blood. Why not just the uh, substitution, right? But you see, God in His grace and His mercy wanted to demonstrate. You know, He didn't need animals. It wasn't like animals had to die because God's hands would be tied otherwise. No. The animals actually served as a visual lesson about the grace and mercy of God. Okay? Uh, and so, the uh, animal would die. The people would see this and recognize that we are alive because the animal died. And the blood of the animal covers our, covers the sin, covers our sins. Okay? The uh, animal that, uh, the goat that the sins uh, are, are placed on demonstrated to the people not only, not only uh, has, has God uh, uh, received a payment price for our sins, but he actually takes them away. He actually takes them away, you know? Uh, and so this was a great act of love uh, that, uh, that God um, uh, demonstrated to the people. And you know, there's something kind of interesting. Did you know there's two versions of the Talmud? How many of you do that? There's two versions. There's the Babylonian, there, there's the Babylonian Talmud, and there's the Jerusalem Talmud. Now, we might think to ourselves, well, the Jerusalem Talmud, that's got to be the real one. I mean, that's Jerusalem. But believe it or not, that is not the authoritative Talmud. It is the Babylonian uh, uh, Talmud. When, when people call the Talmud says, it's the Babylonian one. Okay, the Jerusalem one is kind of a, a a little bit more obscure and does not have nearly the same weight as as the other one. But it is very interesting that in the Jerusalem Talmud there is this section that says that about forty or so years before the uh, destruction of the temple, that the curtain. Uh, that would be where the Holy of Holies is, that it ripped from top to bottom, okay? And not only that, but it also says that there was this cord and, and that the people would know that the sins were forgiven if it turned from red to white, right? You know this? And it stopped turning. Stopped, stopped. It, the, curtain, uh, the curtain ripped and the cord stopped turning about 40 years before the destruction of the temple. So that's, if you, that's about 30 A.D. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's just an interesting, uh, uh, just an interesting insight uh, from Jewish uh, uh, sources. Because when uh, Yeshua came, he was the one. He he became our atonement. He became our atonement. Okay, he atoned for our sins. 
See? So the animals were always like an object lesson, uh, to be honest with you, pointing to the Messiah. It's not the other way around. It's not that the Messiah points back to the sacrifices. No. The sacrifices point, they were all like, you might say, just to use a, a, just a very practical term, because we're talking about a transaction. They were like IOUs, the sacrifice. They were like IOUs. And it got paid in full when the Messiah came. See? When Yeshua came. That's why it's such good news. And that's, that's why we want our people to know it. Uh, you see, because what we have now is the once and for all assurance that sins have been atoned for. And Yeshua did that in his death and in his resurrection. And you can read all about it in the book of Hebrews. Okay? You can read all about it in the book of, you know, you know, there's this book in the uh, New Covenant Scriptures called Hebrews. It it's actually should be like the book called Jewish People. Okay? Uh, because that's what it means. Uh, you, you, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, and and what, that, what that big letter is, was actually uh, uh, an oral message to Jewish people uh, who were being persecuted for being Messiah followers and saying to them, there's nowhere else to go but Yeshua. He's, he's greater than the sacrifice. He's greater than the high priest. Uh, and, and the idea was, was that our people would know that, wow, this, this is what the prophets promised. And so don't, don't turn away, but embrace the Messiah uh, and stick with it because our sins are indeed atoned for. Uh, and, you know, so it, it's very important to understand that, that. So on Yom Kippur, on one hand, yes, we confess our sins. On the other hand, we're rejoicing. Uh, that indeed the, the Messiah uh, has, uh, has uh, come. In Leviticus chapter 23, we have here uh, uh, some instructions for the priests about the yearly calendar. And so on the yearly calendar is Yom Kippur, is the Day of Atonement. Okay. So in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, we read in verse uh, 27, on exactly the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. And then it goes on to say, don't do any work. And if uh, people don't humble themselves on this day, they're going to be cut off. It's telling us, that, wow, that's pretty important. You know, if you don't do it, you're going to be cut off. Okay, So it's a very important day. But what makes it different from all the other holidays here is you shall afflict your souls. You shall humble your souls. And so what that literally means is that inside of us, we should, uh, in, in a sense, like agonize inside of ourselves uh, about our sins and then and come to God and confess our sins uh, and confess our sins uh, to, uh, to God. Now, from time immemorial, we'll call it, and even in the text of uh, the, uh, the Tanakh, afflicting your soul or humbling your soul was a euphemism for fasting. It was a euphemism for fasting. Like, you shall fast. And the idea is, uh, and it's not about losing weight, and it's, 
And it's not about just uh, doing some kind of penance, uh, but it, it has to do uh, with this uh, sense of where am I with God and, and confessing sins uh, uh, to, to God. In fact, in uh, Psalm 35, uh, it says uh, here in verse 13, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. It can't get any plainer than that, right? I humbled my soul with fasting. Uh, and so, humbling of the soul was the way, the mechanism uh, of people doing uh, that uh, was, uh, was uh, fasting, okay? So, you know, it's in- interesting that in the Bible, you read a lot about fasting. And I'm not going to, I would love to, but I'm not going to point out all the verses about fasting, okay? Uh, but I will say this that there seems to be a little bit of a difference in the tenor of it in the Tanakh and the Brit Chadashah. If you look up all the verses about fasting. In the Tanakh, it's, it's always associated with sackcloth and ashes uh, and mourning. Uh, you know, you read about a variety of... Like, when Saul died, people fasted. When uh, David's uh, little baby was sick, he fasted, Right? Uh, when people were greatly uh, fearful uh, uh, and trying to get the attention of God, uh, they, they fasted. It's interesting that in the Brit Chadashah, uh, basically what, what you read uh, when it comes to admonitions about fasting or demonstrations of fasting is basically uh, that when you fast, don't look like you have sackcloth and ashes on. <laughs> I mean, the, the clear, Yeshua says that. Right? Spruce yourself up, you know, when you fast, for your reward is in heaven. So it's, it has a little bit of a different tenor. And then you might be surprised to know that the only other place we really read about it, uh, uh, you read about Yeshua fasting in a couple of places about fasting in the Gospels, but then a few places in the book of Acts, you read about fasting. And usually it had to do with decision making, yeah. raising somebody up as elders. They fasted, you know. Uh, and, and so certainly it, it had, even in the Brit Chadashah, it has to do with being closer to God. But you really don't read about fasting. Paul never admonishes anybody about fasting. doesn't even bring it up. Kind of interesting. I, but I, nevertheless, I just thought that was interesting. I just threw that in. All right? I'm not making like some big statement on that. Right, uh, I think fasting is uh, very valuable uh, and does draw us uh, close to God uh, because what we're doing is we're denying ourselves when we fast. And Yeshua is all about uh, the idea of coming close to God uh, by denying ourselves. Uh, and this is very important, but it isn't about uh, penance. Uh, it isn't about anything uh, uh, like that. It's actually, uh, 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 as Yeshua uh, says, uh, he's not talking about fasting, but he's about denial. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. This is, you can't get any clearer than that, right? Uh, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. Uh, take up his, his uh, cross daily and follow me. Uh, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. 
Whoever loses his life for my sake is the, uh, is the one uh, uh, who will uh, indeed uh, save it. Now, this self-denial uh, is not about, the end result of it is not to be sad and unhappy. The end result of it is, is the opposite, to be joyful. One of the great paradoxes. We might say, well, why does he say deny yourself if he wants us to come to him and, and, and be satisfied in him? It's one of the great paradoxes. One of the great paradoxes is it's not about us. It's about him. And, and that's indeed uh, what he means. Why do we fast? We fast. Fasting is a perfect example of self-denial. The goal of fasting is not to hurt ourselves. The goal of fasting is not to feel bad. The goal of fasting is a, to focus our attention on God. And when we deny ourselves, think about that. That we don't like that. It rubs us the wrong way, even when I say it, right? You're like, you're saying, hey, yeah, you were going so good. Now, why are you talking about that self-denial? You know what I mean? I, uh, because, think about it. Self, self-denial, okay? I, uh, we are into self. <laughs> we are into ourselves and our own personal self and satisfaction of ourselves. And why bother with God if it, if, uh, it is not about just my own fulfillment? Well, the irony is, is that God created us in his image and his likeness, and he does want us to be fulfilled in him. The abundant life, right? The abundant life, it's in him, but it's not about ourselves. So self-denial has the, the end result of fulfillment and satisfaction. That's what, it's just about discipline. Just about discipline. Self-denial isn't about like stabbing ourselves you know, that kind of thing like ancient, uh, you know, people did, like to get the attention of the gods. That's not what it's about, no. It's simply about focusing on God. And that's why fasting, I always find that what fasting does, uh, it, it, uh, during that period of time, there's a, some kind of spiritual sensitivity, you know, that, uh, uh, that, God, that I can hear. The Lord, you know, He speaks into my life, or, or when I'm reading the Word, that, I, that there's a particular uh, a kind of uh, uh, conviction, right? Because you see, it's it's very interesting when God, uh, uh, what God wants from us, what He always wants from us, you know, self denial is confessing sins. Self denial is being honest and truthful about our lives and coming to God. Uh, you know, with our sins, with our sins. When we confess our sins, uh, it's not about us. Uh, it is indeed about uh, God. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's uh, uh, it's kind of interesting when you, when you talk about issues of of self self fulfillment and self denial. One of the greatest examples in the Bible of that is all the way back in the Book of Exodus, right? When Moses went up the mountain, okay, and the people uh, uh, rose up, uh, ate, drank, and played the harlot, right? That's all about me. That's all about self, okay? 
Uh, and, uh, and, and when uh, Moses uh, returned, uh, and he sees it, uh, it, it's very interesting that God says, first of all, he breaks the tablets, right? He breaks the tablets, uh, and, uh, uh, and God says, I want to destroy all the people, okay? Because they're just, they're, they're uh, hedonistic. They're just doing their thing. It's all about them, right? Uh, and so, he says uh, in verse 10 of uh, 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 Exodus 32, now then let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Okay? And then if you read through it, it won't take the time, but if you read through in chapter 32, 33, and 34, Moses has this long conversation with God. Okay? Uh, and basically the end result is first God says, okay, I won't destroy them, but I won't go with them. I'll send an angel to go with them. And then Moses says, no, you have to go with us. Okay, and so then God relents and he says, okay, I will go. My presence will go with you. In other words, you know what that means? It means that God was saying, I will forgive them and I will restore that relationship. And I, it'll be like it was before the golden calf. Okay, he says, I will, I will forgive them. Right. What he wanted them to do was to practice a sense of self-denial and live for him. Don't be like the Egyptians. Don't be like the Canaanites. But live for me. And that is always uh, what God has desired. Right? So uh, in a few minutes, we're going to uh, confess uh, sins, you know, uh, some traditional liturgy, confessing sins. Uh, and we want to see it as a stepping stone, uh, as a... Um, as a springboard for us to think about our own lives and not just the words that we're saying, but, but about our own lives. Uh, and, and recognize that God is so pleased when we do that, when we come to him his way, that he receives us. That's why it's good news. That's why fasting is good news. That's why, may I suggest, fasting in the Brit Chodeshah is... Uh, not some horrific thing, but it's a practice of self-denial. When Yeshua says, you know, deny yourself, all he, say, all he means is follow me. That's what he means. He doesn't mean hurt yourself, like go hurt yourself, okay? Uh, you know, he's not sadistic, okay? God is not sadistic. I know that sometimes we might think that. We never say it, but that God has like this big poker, you know? And, uh, and that's what he does with this big anvil that he's going to drop on our head or something, uh, you know. Uh, but no, he always comes with open arms. And so <clears throat> when uh, God says, okay, my presence will go with you, Moses says, show me your glory. In other words, I got to see it, okay? I got to see it. And so what uh, we have here is Moses sees God with words, we could say. And we all know, know these words, all right? It says uh, here, uh, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgressions and sin. 
We'll just stop there. Because this is called the 13 midot, uh, the 13 attributes of compassion. Okay? Uh, don't try to count them. It won't work. All right? Just trust me on that. All right? Uh, but it, traditionally, they're called the 13. And sometimes in, in rabbinic literature, there is, some of them are repeated, and it all adds up to 13. But not just, don't count the words or, or on any of that. Okay. So these are the attributes of, uh, of acceptance. And that's why we say them in the service. See? Because here, God is saying, I will forgive you. you come to me. Come to me, and we will have a restored relationship. See? Uh, and it goes all the way back to Exodus. And what's very interesting is, is that Yeshua embodies all of these attributes. He is loving kindness. He is grace and truth. Okay? Uh, but, you know, it's very interesting. Some of these words speak about um, uh, just the, the intimacy of God. Do you know the word, for, for example, mercy? Rachum. You know where that word comes from? Because the word rechem. You know what rechem is? Rechem is the womb. The womb. You know? That uh, God's compassion is like, you know, he's known us from the womb. And he loves us that intimately. You know? Uh, and uh, so you can read uh, these and, uh, and learn more about them. But the point is, is that he welcomes us back. And that's why uh, uh, Yom Kippur... Uh, is not a holiday to be feared, but one to look forward to because God desires reconciliation. And, and we don't do sac None of us do sacrifices, right? I hope not, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and that is because there is no longer a temple, there is no sacrifice, but the good news is that atonement has been made in the Messiah. And He has demonstrated uh, all of this, you know, His patience, slow to anger, uh, and his goodness, his uh, compassion, and truth, and, uh, and, and all of it. Uh, and, uh, and so remember that in Psalm 51, God says, what does he love? He loves a broken, right, a broken and contrite spirit, a broken and contrite uh, a heart, to come to him that way. And when we come to him that way, he receives us, right? So uh, may, uh, may our fast... Uh, truly be uh, not just some legalistic fasting, but may we truly draw closer to God and may we embrace Messiah Yeshua and the forgiveness that uh, we have in Him. What do we read in the Brit Chadashah? We read when we confess our sins, God is just and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us. He forgives us and He cleanses us. He forgives our sins and has, He has removed our sins. And that is a great assurance that we have in him. Uh, and, uh, and so there we go. All right.